Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Well, stop. He's with you, cut. With his Honestly. I've got it. I've absolutely got it. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, welcome on in. It's another edition of Mode Push, the American view of F1, a podcast brought to you by KSL Sports, KSL Podcasts. Thanks for being with us. Alex Curie, my co-host of the program as always, Dan Jimenez on the show here with us. Dan, what's up, man? How are the holidays, dude? Oh, it's been great. Relaxing. Just uh, perfect. Now, you're, uh, I mean, I'm in the studio all the time because it's my job. You do extra. This is an extra. Does it feel like a job to you coming and doing the F1 podcast? No, this is this is all fun. <laughs> you get to get look. You get to drive up and go, oh, honey. I got to You let that. Uh, you let that AMG engine <laughs> kind of soothe your aches on the way up. Uh, to I drive. Salt Lake. I drive the exact speed limit, not a mile <laughs> over on the way up. Uh, <laughs> have you gotten a ticket in that car yet? Have you been pulled this over? This one. This one, no. Yeah, the last ticket I got was in my last AMG. So, what was the miles per hour? Um, it was. Uh, it was not. I. I. I, I it got, wasn't crazy. No, I got like a forty-five and a thirty-five. But so that's the thing is that like people see a wagon and they don't go, mm-hmm. "You son of a," you know. They're like, they're. I mean, that's a. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's one of those sneaky fast cars. Sneaky fast. That's right. Somebody pulls up uh, in their Corvette, and then you're next to them at the light. They don't know they're going to get smoked. Yeah. They're not aware. Yeah. And I don't often do that, but sometimes. No, you do? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And it's fun. I got a I got an 81 in a 55. Ooh. There you go. Going up a hill about a year ago because I have the e-tron, the electric yeah, car. Yeah. And that's that hard not go. it's not it's hard not to push yeah. the gas down and you don't know you're going that fast. And the UHP guy was not I didn't I didn't say anything. It was one of those things where I just handed the license and the registration as soon as he walked up. <laughs> You're like I know, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and it was the biggest ticket. But I remember thinking, you know, there, there are. I don't know. You just don't. You don't know. Sometimes you're going that fast. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't know what the statute of uh, limitations is on oh, admitting, admitting anything. Yeah. In so I might. You're not going to get it. <laughs> no one's going to write you. A, no one's going to write you a speeding ticket post. When I, <laughs> when I bought my first AMG wagon, uh, I picked it up in Idaho and drove it home. Um, shortly after my fourth kid was born. And so I was like trying to get home, uh, in a, in a, in a quick manner. <laughs> yeah. And somewhere between the Idaho, Utah, um, border north of Tremont and the snowball long, area, long yeah. stretch, nobody around. The only person I'm going to hurt is myself. I just, I, I took it to the, um, the governor limit. There's a governed, uh, yeah. number on that. Car. Yeah. Yeah. 135. Wow. Which was really stupid to do in a car that I hadn't really inspected very closely myself. <laughs> so I don't recommend I doing that, that. I think the Audi is is governed at one ten. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. My, on be... the current one, if I uh, do the the tune and takes the uh, governor off, I think that it's like one eighty five. Yeah. That's insane, dude. Yeah. That's don't do clear. that. I'm not going to do, do that unless I had a racetrack. Think about how dumb you are. That. When it, when I was a ki- like when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. we did such stupid crap in cars. And like I, we didn't have like we weren't, I didn't have uh, my parents didn't have insane cars. We had you know lots of kids. We had a suburban and like a, a Nissan Maxima, you know. Yeah. But I had a friend who had his parents had that uh, the Jeep with the five point nine liter mm. 
mm-hmm. engine, that Hemi on. It wasn't a Hemi at that point, but I think, you know, yeah. something similar, some high output with those beefy glass pack, you know, kind of exhausts <laughs> on them. And we were, we were on the back roads of Idaho near Priest Lake and I think doing 130 in, in an Jeep. SUV. <laughs> Dude, in an SUV that for sure Jeez. death could have come at any moment. We were such freaking idiots. Yeah. So there's your uh, PSA, kids. Don't yeah. do dumb stuff. We're not endorsing our prior Don't uh, do dumb stuff. Actions. Yeah. And it was funny now. It's like, oh, I see my kid and I'm like, he's like, can I, can I put a chip in my electric scooter to go 17 miles an hour? I was like, How? no, you cannot. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's, that's, it. that's inappropriate. All right. Uh, Dan, it's it's that weird time of year. We're getting to our – this is our final episode of the 2022 year. We're going to kick off 2023. It's been a fun time. We, we're getting our feet wet on this uh, – on the F1 podcast, and it's been fun to kind of jump in and just talk about this, you know, sport that uh, I'm relatively new at just in the last four or five years, and it's something you followed for a long time. It's been fun to jump in and and uh, and get to know you a lot more and to get to know the the sport a lot more. I love the breakdowns on the engineering side of things. I learn a ton every week from you, so it's been really, really fun uh, to get started already with this thing. We're on episode 22 already of the, uh, Man. Wow. Of the episode. Time flies, and uh, I don't know how much better we've gotten at it, but we certainly are doing it. Most podcasts that are <laughs> F1 related are not. Uh, this is when they take their big break, you know, and I think for us, we were both like, hey, man, we got to do something here. Not us. Yeah. I wanted to make sure and bring something up that uh, you brought my attention to, and that was... They had the massively pretentious uh, FIA Formula One World Championship awards mm-hmm. uh, at the at you know where it's just a bunch of people who are already rich showing up in their black and white tie affairs and and handing out awards to one another and the constructor the champion of the constructors uh, you know trophy was of course Red Bull and up to the stage walks Christian Horner and. Interestingly enough, oh, I, I'm, now I'm going to mess it up. Ben Suleiman, who's the FIA mm-hmm. president, took exception to something that it was one of the more awkward exchanges. And if we're good at anything, Dan, it's bringing <laughs> up awkward exchanges. And you showed this one to me, and I thought, we got to bring this one up. This is on the stage where uh, obviously Christian always has an angle. Christian Horner, yes. the, uh, the principal, team principal for Red Bull, always has an angle. He's always saying so he is not short on opinions. And, you know, the, the boss of the FIA wasn't going to let uh, that slip. And so here's what was said on the stage as he was awarded the uh, constructor's uh, title and the trophy. Championship in, in Japan, even though there was a bit of confusion over the points there, but thankfully uh, Max won it early and he saw it. Um, and then the next weekend, the day after he passed, we managed to win this, uh, this, this trophy. So it's, uh, it's a very special one. Thank you, Christian. First of all, you deserve mm-hmm. the win, if it's the manufacturer or Max. Uh, secondly, uh, you said about Dietrich. I mean, uh, um, I drove with a Red Bull sponsorship in my last championship. And one thing you said about Japan. Japan, you said, was controversial. No. The FIA was blamed for the points, but it was not the FIA which made the rules. It was the teams who made the rules, and we were implementing it. So thank you for the Okay, current. okay, guys. Yes, <laughs> you see? Let's stay focused. No. Uh, to me, it's very, very clear about the FIA, and we do that. Uh, so thank you very much. He is right. They deserve the win. Everyone who wins deserve it. Wow. This- it doesn't, it just, it's so cringy. So awkward. It's, it's amazing, though, too, because... This is the this is the thing that I think a lot of folks aren't familiar with. Like 
the FIA is the governing body over motorsport, right? Mm-hmm. So they do all of it, right? They have kind of they're 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 kind of over all the racing that is uh, sanctioned across Europe. But any yeah. big anything big and, and important when it comes to motor motor uh, racing across across countries across yeah. the countries, then mm-hmm. that's then that's it. I mean, you know, we don't know anything about the FIA here because you know nothing. No American sport is governed by that. But yeah. It's like the ego of Roger Goodell from the NFL standing yes. on the stage with Jerry Jones. Oh, and like the Bernie Ecclestone era too, like times 10. Like it's hard to like go back and replay everything like what Bernie Ecclestone was to the FIA compared to Roger Goodell or David Stern or these yeah. guys like as as egotistical, full of themselves, power hungry as those guys if not more. It's it's a wild thing to watch. So in the end, I don't think I, they can go back and forth and argue about whether what's weird is it's not really an argument. Like who cares at this point, Christian bringing it up on the stage with the trophy in his hand is as dumb as uh, the FIA president, you know, saying, I want to clear something up. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, and I think that it was the MC's like, anyway, guys, thank you so much. <laughs> like I, I'm like, I have a giant smile on my face when that stuff happens. Cause I just, I love that type of cringy stuff because Christian Horner just says whatever he wants. Yeah. And he kind of gets away with it. And he's not going to, no one's going to question him on it, but timing wise couldn't have been as weird. It, it couldn't have gotten worse for, uh, for, for those guys, but uh, in, in an award ceremony, no less, that's, that's the way it goes, of course. So as we go into the, we're in the off season, you know, this is the, this is the equivalent of like the dead time for these guys who are going in, but we weren't able to talk about some of the changes that happened with some of these team principals and what that might do, what that could affect going forward here. So what have we seen change-wise of the team bosses, and uh, what do you see happening in 2023 with some of these guys being the heads of new teams? Yeah, so I think in our last episode we talked at length about uh, Benotto, Mattia Benotto, and um, getting released from Ferrari, or technically resigning, yeah. but uh, forcefully being resigned yeah. from Ferrari and Ferrari saying, oh, we're not going to have any update until January. And then um, they went ahead and announced uh, in December, right before Christmas, uh, that Freddie Vasseur from Alfa Romeo, who we all speculated was the leading candidate, had, had been hired, right. which um, I think is a great pick. I think not only has he come experienced with, I think, a, a temperament and a personality that might be able to crack down more on the performance of the team, but he also has a close relationship with, with Charles Leclerc. So I think that that's going to be good for Charles, who's really, I think, the the one driving the team. I think he's the golden boy for the franchise, and they're going to you know put into uh, that team principal position, somebody that he likes, and they've. And I think they found that with uh, with Fred Vasseur. Uh, you know, I was kind of interesting too because Yas Capito, the uh, the team principal for Williams, I, I was pretty shocked to see that he was. I mean, he's one been making progress. I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think we look at yeah. Williams and and our expectations are pretty low, but they've had as much success as we've seen them have in the last you know three or four years. And I, he seemed like a very tech as the technical director is like the. Or is like the team principal. He he was as good as anybody leading that team. I mean, they have this uh, Dorleton, uh, you know, capital mm-hmm. or whatever who who run it. This American, uh, you know, private equity firm who who's throwing a bunch of money at this. But they, he's stepping aside for this season. It feels like it was the same type of thing where he's been retired for him. I mean, like this is the top of the sport. When you talk about guys who have been bosses of teams, uh, 
F one is the top of the sport, and so it was a shock to me for Yoss to be uh, to be uh, ousted. I guess. Yes, I, I had the same exact feeling. I, I compared to the era before with Claire Williams, that era felt like the team disaster. was just lost. Yes, they just didn't know what to try next. But uh, yeah, this I thought this last year there was a lot of step forward. They um, they scored points with all three drivers, uh, including Devree that stepped yeah. in, um, and. I, it it was a surprise that that he either chose to leave or um got got out uh, ousted. So uh, who's going? To, that's the only remaining open seat right now uh, in terms of a is team. Is Alfa principal. Romeo figured out then too? Um oh uh, sorry that one as well. Else, I think yeah. th- those two teams. Williams those and, are the two. Yes, you're right. No, I, no team principal, which is a weird time to do it. Like you better figure it out uh, here in the next month and a half because you have winter testing coming up. Uh, yeah. yeah, in February. Alfa Romeo, they hired uh, Andres uh, Seidel from McLaren to be the new CEO, but he's not the team principal, which is interesting that he's, you know, he's kind of taken, I guess, that step up from being a, a team principal to a CEO. A, uh, he certainly he, could kind of fill the boots for a minute, you know, yeah. while they get things going. Yeah, and he, and he had previously worked um, uh, in the World uh, Endurance Championship, another FIA-regulated uh, motorsport, uh, for Porsche. Uh, and dominated there, and so he has that prior relationship with that Volkswagen group. So it makes sense that he's you know coming back to uh, what's to, going to, to be that Audi. group, yeah, what's yeah. going to be Audi, mm-hmm. uh, with enough lead time to be able to kind of implement all the changes that need to be made before they make that switch. So I think that makes sense. But yes, no team team principal there yet. Um, so yeah, I think that it was just a, a maybe a bit surprising um, seeing all of these changes happening at the same time. McLaren is. Uh, um, is promoting um, somebody from within yeah. to be the team principal. Andre Stella, yeah, yeah. Uh, so those are those are kind of the the faces we're going to see around, and it'll be interesting to see where these um, the the two open seats go to. I think on the Williams side, there's you know interesting candidates. Obviously, does Mattia Bonotto want to stay a team principal? Would you see Alfa Romeo or Williams as too much of a step back or too much of a demotion or? Um, like I think it would be, we might be approaching the era where a former Formula One driver or champion takes a, a team principal role. Um, there's rumors about Jensen Button uh, being a oh, possible candidate for that Williams uh, team principal role. So uh, I, you know, it's kind of interesting in like American sports when a guy who was relatively successful in the sport takes over at head coach. Like that actually almost is like a knock, right? I mean, I don't. The things that go into team principal, it's a different set of skills. Yeah, you know, it's a, I mean, it's almost like they have to be a uh, almost an engineer first. Not really, but I mean, like cause mm-hmm. Christian Horner and and uh, and uh, uh, you know, you think of a Total Wolf. Those guys are those guys are race minded guys. You know, mm-hmm. but they also it's very similar. Like they were not super successful. Like they were like pretty good in these lower tiered things, mm-hmm. but they were never you know these amazing F one drivers, which. Jensen Button wasn't, I guess, you know, he's not uh, he's not an amazing F1 driver either, I guess. But he certainly has a history in the sport, yeah. and he certainly has yeah. been a driver. He's a champion. Yeah. He's a champion. And so then you go, <clears throat> okay, do you want a guy coming in who's a former world champion coming in and, and doesn't have any experience doing this but just say, yeah, he's been around a team before. Let's make a team principal right off the bat. It seems weird. Yeah, it, that's a it's a big stretch. The job of a team principal in Formula One is just very comprehensive from – talent management to being able to do the PR side of it. Like, you know, you see Toto and Christian, they're the face of those teams almost as much or even more than the drivers at uh, at times. And so you just have to have, like you said, a a totally different skill set than would have made you either a great engineer or a good driver. So, um, 
Yeah, it, I, I, it's an experiment I'd like to see. I don't. I can't uh, recall uh, recently any of the major teams having a, a team principal that was uh, predominantly a driver for their career. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't I don't know what I don't know what the what the move would be. Who do you think? Like, I mean, who's the pressure going to be on the most? If you're a Ferrari, you're like automatically kind of the pressure team. But who maybe has the most development to go? Because even if you want to say, "Hey, Ferrari," expectations are always high for you know, uh, you know, the Scuderia. You've got a new team principal who I think expects greatness, right? He understands mm-hmm. what the Ferrari uh, standard is, but you also don't have a lot of development to do. And so your car is actually pretty darn good. There've been a lot of things on the side of uh, of reliability that might be an issue, but also mm-hmm. on the side of execution uh, of execution of your yeah. plan as a team. But, like, who has the the furthest to go in terms of getting their car right to be able to actually compete? Because putting a machine on the road that is going to be a lap down every every race is not where anybody wants to be. So who has the most uh, It strikes against them in terms of trying to get this thing done? The first one that comes to mind for me is McLaren, uh, just with the expectation they need to be performing much better than they did this past year. And the with a new uh, team principal in place with Andrea Stella. And then I also think about Haas. This is going to be their first year where they have, um, you know, this new sponsor in place that's going to allow them to uh, reportedly uh, spend to the cost cap, and um, they they need to continue to show performance. I mean, Gene Haas is still probably putting a lot of money into that, and uh, the, the sponsorship helps, but it is not a guarantee that Haas is still on uh, on the grid in five years. You know, I think that that's if any team is going to fold, it's I I think it's likely going to be them if they don't find more success quick. Is there an American manufacturer that would want to get involved? I mean, it seems like when you say because Ford has Ford GM, they've got like the mm-hmm. capital to be able to say we want to do this. We have the resources to do it. We have the facilities to be able to kind of do this. But headquartering a, uh, an F1 team in America is freaking hard. It's hard. Haas is trying to do it and it's a difficult thing to do. Um, and Haas has also been, you know, on the low end of, of performance, obviously. But it, I just, I, in my mind, if if Haas folds, if there's not an American team for for a new American audience to kind of jump onto, it's. I think it's not as one. It's not as easy to get people involved when you have three races in America, like you're going to have next year. If you don't have any American racers or American teams in the future, you know, if Logan Sargent doesn't last that long or if, mm-hmm. uh, or whoever the next like one single, it's always just like a one-off American name that might be in the mix a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility that a Ford or a GM would ever want to get back into the, or get into the world of F1 racing? I think it makes the most sense for Ford. They have a current relationship with Gene Haas on the NASCAR side. They, they're the um, brand that, that Haas Stewart racing runs under NASCAR. And so, uh, and then also Ford really leans into, I think, the marketing aspect of racing uh, and how that translates to their, you know, their main business. And so I think it makes the most sense for them or or, or GM. Uh, and you got to think that everyone else has seen the the growth uh, in the U.S. for F1 in terms of the number of the races, uh, a new full time driver. And so it, it's it's just a missed opportunity. I think uh, they can't. I, I don't think Ford can look at F one and be like, oh, you know, that doesn't really appeal to our right. our customer base. They, you know, guys buying F one fifties don't watch F one. I don't think they, you could have said that five years ago, but I don't think you say that now. And so I think they. The, it, I would be surprised if those conversations aren't already happening. An Asian manufacturer not being involved it seems weird too. Like mm-hmm. it, like racing is in the DNA 
of Japan. I think you would. Lo- I think some of these, and we've talked about this before. Some of the South Korean, um, you know, manufacturers. Mm-hmm. How is it that they wouldn't want to be involved in trying to be and put their name on? If you have your name on the back of a car that that is going across the the, mm-hmm. the finish line on a podium, that that's a huge deal for that for that. I mean, it's a massive in the car industry. It's almost like. These guys have these massive pissing matches on the on these on these race courses, right? Where it's like, hey, I mean, Alpine Renault is is the state, uh, you know, vehicle of France, <laughs> France and yeah. and Mercedes is you know is Germany, Ferrari is Italy, you know. I mean, th- th- it's it's got these crazy things tied to it, and so image wise, there might be a little bit of a stretch because I don't, you know, trying to get Americans. To get off of something like to to kind of come away from NASCAR a little bit to get involved mm-hmm. in F one is probably what you're asking is a, is a group of people who are already motor racing fans mm-hmm. getting involved in another type of motor racing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the, where the where the new audience totally comes from, but I think an American team or a brand new team these guys have to carve out a way to get. I mean, Williams just I don't know how long that's going to last, right? Yeah, I don't know how long Haas is going to last. Uh, and some of these teams just like we wonder how long they're going to be on the grid if they're not one of these big four or five who have their names uh, and a lot of money behind their backing. Yeah, I, I could see a future where all 10 teams on the grid end up being um, tightly associated and, and supported by a, a manufacturer. And uh, from the Asian market, I, I think the the Hyundai uh, or Kia brands are really interesting from South Korea. But uh, Toyota for a really long time was in F1 and they, the U S market is really big for Toyota. Um, TRD Toyota racing development is based in California and they produce, um, I mean, all the Toyota Toyotas that you, you drive here in the U S vast majority are, are produced here in the U S. And so I think they look at the U S market as, as, uh, you know, maybe their top market. And, uh, I think that it would make sense for Toyota to take a look at it as well. I was reading an article this week about how, they're one of the manufacturers who are a little bit skeptical still on like a full EV takeover. You know, they're mm. like, I mean, mm. if you notice too, Toyota doesn't have, you know, these full, these electric. full electric models yeah. that everybody else seems to be rolling out, mm-hmm. you know, in, in crazy fashion. And so that makes sense when they say, we, we don't know if like the full electric, you know, push is going to stick forever. Mm-hmm. They're more about hybrid. Which in my mind, yeah. I go, hey, guess what that engine is in F1? It's a mm-hmm. hybrid, hybrid. Uh, you know, six-cylinder turbo. That it's easy for them to get. And Toyota is as big a brand as any of these other ones that we just put out there in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how many cars they put out every year. So, And the money that they have backing it as well. So uh, going into winter testing, that's going to be a February, uh, mid to late February kind of deal here. What are teams doing right now? Like, what are what is a driver doing right now? Are they just sitting on a boat in Monte Carlo and, and <laughs> soaking up the rays, or is that just like an idealized like uh, thought of it? Because these guys all live in Monte Carlo, yeah, and and uh, and and they don't have they don't have to pay taxes, or as they like to put it, we're centralized in Europe, and so it's <laughs> it's an easy way to get around. So, what is a driver doing right now to prep for? the 2023 season that's around the corner yeah i think it depends on the driver i think the more experienced veterans are just enjoying their time off i think i saw uh um valtteri botas's vacation in new zealand this week um yeah that's a guy who's not gonna like like, yeah he's not spending a lot of time in the simulator you know right if the if uh if the ice man was still on the grid he also would not be caring about what his workout plan yeah ice man would be like doing the uh a polar bear dive (laughs) in northern 
Finland. No one would even know he was he was where he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so I think if you're the you know uh, younger guys, especially the the new drivers, you're just spending a lot of time in the simulator, and that's kind of the expectation too for those more junior drivers is they're going to be doing the development on the car. And you know, it's crazy to think, but the drivers and the teams are doing actual development on the car uh, in 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 the simulation world, right? So they'll get the driver in there. The load the setup to the computer and then okay, take a lap around Silverstone and give us your your feedback. What did you feel there? Um, what was different from the last change? Okay, we're going to change a couple of other things. And this is all just happening in the simulator. And then those uh, changes will then translate into the real world, real world based on what they choose to develop um, in terms of suspension design um, and uh a lot of stuff the cfd and wind tunnel time is all regulated by the fia so there's only a certain amount of time that, that each that team work? can do that how does that work yeah it's there's like a seal on the door like how do they like i don't know that's a, some of these teams own yeah. the the actual yeah or they, they share own their the own wind, wind tunnels yeah. yeah and so it just seems wild that it would be it's under surveillance Limited. all the time it's like a ring doorbell on the <laughs> that is a great question we should do some more research on i, I have the same question about even the cost cap you know and the audits and and how do they you know, make sure that those that everything is 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 copacetic. Yeah, up but up, yeah. but um, so yeah, lots of development going on in the virtual world right now, and uh, is similar. Uh, the wind tunnel time from like the last half of the season is probably what's being most influential on on the design for their car for for next year. Uh, it just takes a lot of time to work through all of that and then actually manufacture these these bodies. So um, I saw Mercedes uh, posted a video of them starting up their 2023 car. So engine development is, is well along its way. They've, you know, these motors are, are are getting really close for um, kind of production ready uh, status. So uh, uh, I think a lot of teams got an earlier start on development. I saw Williams said that, you know, halfway through the year when they knew that they were going to be in 10th or 9th and they weren't really fighting for anything better. They 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 turned, turned their sights to 2023. they, They stopped all development on 2022 and they're like, Hey, on to next year. So some teams are, are well ahead on this and and are probably just chomping at the bit to get on the circuit uh, there in, in Bahrain for winter well, testing. we're familiar with that when, in American sports, right? When a team goes, <clears throat> anyway, we're going to start this guy at quarterback. Uh, you've never heard of him and neither <laughs> have we, and we don't care because we actually want to do worse now. Yeah. We're moving on to 2023. Now, there's no version of uh, – the good thing is in, in F1, you're, the incentive is if you perform better um, – you get more money mm-hmm. and that more money allows you to have a little bit more flexibility, but they do, you do get more simulator time, more wind, yeah, more tunnel, wind time tunnel and CFD if time. You're yeah. not as, if you, if you are further down the table. And so, so there's some incentive there for guys to shut it down. I think at the end of the year, we we're talking about Ferrari going, yeah, tanking. Do we want to maybe, it's nice to be second, but it would also be nice to get uh, 16 more hours of that wind tunnel, you know, to try to figure mm-hmm. that out. We haven't figured out what our plan is for the F1 race coming to Las Vegas. Oh, I have a new option. I know, and that's what I was going to bring up. <laughs> what we do know is what's not going to happen for you and I. And that is the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix, brought to you by Caesars Entertainment, the Emperor Package. <laughs> Emperor. I was trying to remember what the name of it was. The, the Emperor, Emperor Package. Package. It sounds, it sounds uh, borderline inappropriate. I'll take the Emperor's Package, please. <laughs> What does that include? First of all, roll out the price for us here, Dan. Uh, five million. Five million dollars. Five million smackers. Yeah. What is five million? Now, initially, they rolled out like a low level, 
uh, what I would assume would be like, you know, I don't know, a senator's package. It's not as good as the emperor's package, uh, which was at a million dollars. The emperor package at five million bucks. This is a five night stay. So it's, it's oh my a million a night. Okay. But that's not just for the, you get the Nobu Sky Villa at the Nobu Hotel at Caesar's Palace. Okay. The villa is 10,000 square feet. Okay. It's a three bedroom, 4,700 square foot terrace. Uh, it's it's a three bedroom, uh, you know, uh, apartment slash house. If it's ten thousand square feet, you're talking. I mean, that's mm-hmm. an amazing amount of house, or uh, whatever this, you know, the a penthouse, a forty seven hundred square foot terrace that's one hundred and forty feet above the Las Vegas Strip, and it provides space for seventy five people to view. Seventy five. Now, hey, could you make some money on this? Now, hmm. you pay the five million dollars. If everybody has to pay a quarter million dollars to be up there, could we? Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a business opportunity. Or even $100,000 a piece, right? Okay, so views of the Grand Prix circuit is uh, promised along the Las Vegas Boulevard, I hope. But at 140 feet, yeah. you're kind of squinting at the you're, circuit You're there, not really man. seeing a lot. You're probably watching right. it on the TV up in the in the suite. Well, and, but, uh, here's, but here's – those 75 people who are on the terrace, they're not actually in your little private club, okay? Mm. That is reserved for you and 10 other people who get the paddock club – passes to be down there to be down that listen that's the one you want that's the highest level of vip treatment if you're in the paddock club getting the paddock on there but the uh villa offers 24 7 butler service which i always think is intriguing like just what does that mean at any moment you call up and go sandwich now (laughs) (laughs) you know or uh i don't i wouldn't know what to do with a butler for 24 7 uh outdoor zen garden with a japanese onsen tub a media room, a billiards table, full bar, outdoor kitchen, sauna, and private spa treatment uh, as well during your stay. None of it sounding like it's worth $5 million. No, there's something about the juxtaposition of a Zen garden and an <laughs> F1 race on the Las Vegas right. Strip that just doesn't work. Hey, can you turn it down? I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the Zen, Zen garden. Right uh, but I don't know if you know this, but the $5 million does include all of the food and beverages. There you go. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. And now it starts to make sense. <laughs> I'm trying to think who gets that. Like, no, I don't. Who, it's, who is like nobody on this? Who continent. do you see? Yeah, probably not nobody on this. Continent. I think be, you're right. It's going to be because that's a bad look mm. for a CEO of a company, a billionaire to even you know. Let's say you think about guys who would be it'd be chump change to do it. Your Elon Musk's, mm-hmm. um, you know, pick your poison on on a CEO of one of these you know big tech companies, things like that. That are worth billions, but maybe like a Steve Ballmer type guy mm-hmm. where he's just like, "Hey man, let's do it." Now you do get for the for the entire stay a personal driver and a Rolls Royce. Oh, really? Yes. Now you don't get to keep the Rolls Royce at the yeah, end of it. No, now that would like, be, but that would be actually you get to like run to Costco in the Rolls Royce. Like, where are you going <laughs> in a car? Yeah, in Vegas. Six guests can get inside the uh, yeah. yeah. But it's the it, the private treatment room that is also available for you to get your massage at twenty four seven. Is that the same butler guy who's helping you out? Or yeah, is the it butler. Like, oh, I don't know. A, a Las Vegas massage. That sounds it sketchy. Doesn't seem, I know. No, this is 100% this is a chic is buying this, right? Yeah. Yeah, Saudi I'm trying to think, Prince. like, who are the famous, like, people that you see in the paddock that actually like F1? Like, Shaq actually likes F1, but I don't think... I don't no. See, yeah, I don't and, see and, Shaq and, and doing like, something like that. Shaq is, is kind of notoriously... Uh, a saver too. Like yeah. he's, yeah, he's, he he's knows a savvy where, guy. Yeah. He's a guy who promotes his own pizza at Papa John's. Like mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I'm not saying he's living on the cheap because I've also seen his house in Orlando and it's twenty eight thousand square feet. And so Jeez. there's there's 
there's that side of it. But paying $5 million for a weekend doesn't seem like a good return of value. It's a power play by the elite of the elite of the elite. It's the guys who bought a million-dollar package to go to the World Cup mm-hmm. you know, in Qatar and uh, and have to deal with that whole thing. Which, by the way, that whole thing at the beginning of the, of the episode when we were talking about the FIA's president you know, going, oh, you guys did this, and this is uh, – it, it just – it stinks of – some of the things that we've seen with the with the World Cup and just kind of the we'll do what we want because we set all the rules. Mm-hmm. Having this new statement of no drivers or team members are going to be able to make political or what was the other thing? Religious. Or religious statements, statements of any kind before or after the race or on the race property. That seems like a bad move and a bad look oh, yeah. and something that makes you look like uh, Qatar, which had its own, you know, human rights issues throughout this whole thing. You have got to be able to let your drivers say what they want at these races, even if it is on your turf. Yeah, I think that trying to moderate or censor the content is a losing battle uh, in most any sense. Uh, and I think the FIA is probably going to walk back on this, I think, uh, in a bit. Or they're just not going to enforce it. Like, I just don't understand, like, where is the line, you know? Do you, do you not allow... Uh, Pierre Gasly to cross himself as he gets in the car right. before he does his race. Yeah, like, exactly. is that too religious? Half of your half of your grid is Catholic, like. right? Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I either it's not going to get enforced, or there's going to be so much about it that they're just going to have to walk it back. I, I just don't think you can do the content. I, like, I understand a business saying we want to be apolitical, but like, you can say we as the FIA are apolitical. Yeah. We are not going to make. FIA based statements. We like, do it like they did, like the like um, what was it like? We race as one thing. I think right. back in 2020, which was you know trying to stand with Lewis, but that really felt like that was coming from Formula One and the FIA. And so you you could say like we as an organization aren't going to be political, but the drivers say whatever they want, and like that kind of like gives the drivers the freedom to be able to express themselves. And you're not really like endorsing anybody. The um, views for our drivers do not necessarily <laughs> reflect the values of F1. I mean, we do that same disclaimer. Yeah. At the front end of any kind of news stuff or, you know, yeah. uh, the following is paid advertisement and does not reflect the views <laughs> of this station or yeah. its sponsors. So, so yeah, I, I will see where that goes. That's uh, wild. Dan, happy new year. Happy we're new year. Coming into you. 2023 and it's just going to be another year. And we're going to be able to do a full season now of, uh, of, of F1. We got to sneak in about a half of a year, a half of the calendar uh of the podcast and so it's been a fun one so far and looking forward to next year and being able to cover it with you man it's been awesome yeah same here all right uh that does it for another episode of our f1 podcast mode push so much fun that we have on this thing mode push the podcast brought to you by KSL sports KSL podcast and we're going to keep this thing going uh so for dan i'm alex we'll see you next time everybody